Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. I want to uh, conclude our Black History Month series with a praise psalm. And maybe this is somewhat of an early prelude to our praise and worship series so that we could learn as a church how to shout. Because uh, we're going to have to do that. This is one line of a psalm that captures the tension of Israel's great expectation of God and their current dilemma and predicament. Hear now how the psalmist puts it. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. All week I've been hearing the refrain of Martin King finishing his valedictory speech where he says, mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk from the thought, our eyes have seen his glory. You may be seated. Thank you for those four amens. Verge, can I have some water? The year was about 14, four, rather 15, and St. Augustine, that old church father, the Bishop of Hippo, uh, said it was a sunny day. He was frustrated writing his treatise on the Trinity, a very complex doctrine that many Christians hold to, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit make a triune Godhead. And while he was working in this moment, he got bleary-eyed and in need of fresh air, so he decided to take a walk. And as he took a walk, thank you, Terry, as he took a walk, he came upon a little boy on the side of the beach, scooping water and dropping it into a little hole in the sand. Augustine says that he actually just looked at the boy with joyful curiosity until he realized what he thought the boy was doing. And Denise, he ran up to the little boy, got on his knees and said, hey, son, what are you doing? And the little boy simply said, I'm trying to fit this great big old ocean into this hole in the sand. And Augustine smiled, charmed by the child's innocence. Then he looked at him and he said, um, hey man, you could never fit this great magnificent ocean into that tiny hole. Augustine says the child did not flinch, but responded quickly. And you could never possibly fully understand the Holy Trinity. That seems to be the challenge with any sermon that seeks to explore and explain the nature of God, a subject that is as glorious as its object. In a word, God is too big to fit in your little holes. He's too vast, too magnificent to squeeze into our little constructs, no matter how precise we think they may be. 
in a word, God is incomprehensible. And that's good news for somebody today because you've been trying to live your life figuring God out. And you've been trying to figure out why God let things happen that you don't agree with. You ain't got to say amen, but I know you in here. How the Lord has allowed things to fall out for you, things you prayed for that did not happen the way you prayed for them to happen. Requests you laid for him that seemed to be delayed, although they were not denied. Let me tell you today that God is so magnificent of a subject, he refuses to fit into your tiny holes. I actually think, listen to to this, I actually think that if you knew what God knows, you would agree with him with every decision he's ever made to answer every prayer you have ever prayed. But yet we come to this text with the question, what really then, Pastor Charlie, is God like? Fortunately or unfortunately, if we were to take the time to survey this August congregation a day, there would be as many varieties of answers to that question as there are personalities in this room. Because the best humans can do is to take the language of similes and metaphors to describe that which is larger, grander than what our minds can conceive. We start, so we start using words, well, God is like this, or God is like that. When the reality that the psalmist raises up for us today is that God ain't like anything or anyone that you have ever come to know. Actually, it seems like the psalmist is saying the best way to describe God sometimes is to talk about what God is not like. And when we come to this psalm, trying to use a bridge from our finitude to the infinite uh, picture of God, even the most vigorous and daring the minds is not capable to grab hold of language that sufficiently encapsulates what God is like. It is said that the richest man in the world, his name was Croesus, went to the wisest man in the world, the philosopher tells, and said, what is God? And the noted philosopher tells said, give me a day and I'll get you an answer. The end of that day came, he sent word, he said, give me another day, I need a little more time and I'll get you the answer. And he went on for days and days until he came and he said, well, I can't really answer that question. And when Tertullian, that early church father, heard about it, he responded to Tell's inability, the wisest man on earth, to answer the question, what is God, by saying that the poorest Christian in the world knows God and is able to make him known to others, but the wisest philosopher in the world cannot figure God out. Psalm 115 is a testimony that what the world is ignorant about God, the church has a full grasp on him. I'm preaching better than, and don't feel, don't feel like saying nothing because I'm making my own self happy right here. What, what the world does not know about God, the church wholeheartedly grabs onto it and knows it to be true. Psalm 115 answers the question, what is God and where is he at? It tells us what God is up to and how the whole thing is going in. And so the believer who grabs hold of the truth of God, even from Psalm 115, knows more than the wealthiest and the richest in the world. Let me prove it to you. I thought it would be wise for us to conclude Black History Month with this particular praise chorus that comes up in Psalm 115. Because too many of us 
have bought into pop culture's language and words and ideas about God. Someone in the music ministry asked if we could sing Common and John Legend song to the soundtrack of the movie Selma called Glory. Y'all ever heard that song? One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. One day when the war is won, we will be sure. That ain't true. And this ain't a knock against Common and John Legend. I, we appreciate their artistry. But this is to say that you and I got to learn how to reflect on our own story, on our own history, theologically, independent of pop culture. They took a line from Martin King's Valedictory, who borrowed it from a poem himself, where Dr. King stood up on April 3rd, 1968, at the Mason Temple Church of God in Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. You can watch this when you go home. And King stood up and he said, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Here it is. Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. And in his own Negro preacher swag, he turned the corner and went to sit down while he was still talking. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He is loose as faithful lightning with his terrible swift sword. And he sat down saying, the truth is marching on. Oh, see what Martin King meant when he said, mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. Is that one day when black people in America attained that which we were after, it would be because the glory of God had come to achieve it for us and that God alone would get the glory. What I think our friends wrote in that song is that we would participate, we would somehow or another receive the glory because it was our marching, it was our fighting, it was our praying, and it was our pushing. Now, truth is, it is our marching, it is our fighting, it is our praying, but it is the animation of the Spirit of God that gives us the ability and the mind to march, to fight, and to pray. So one day, when the glory comes, it will not be ours, it will be God's. Now, I'm talking, help me, Holy Ghost, about black people history in America, but I'm also talking about how you got the job you got, how you live, where you are, how you have the resources you have, and how your future is secure. One day, when you make it to where God is calling you and the glory comes, it will not be yours. Don't you stand up in no corporate boardroom and bore people with where you went to school and how many friends you got and how much money you make. If you make it, I said if you make it, have enough sense to open your mouth and to tell somebody if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, let all the progressives say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, the glory goes to God. I said the glory goes to God. I like the way Tozer puts this. I want you to feel the way he writes it. Look now at the language that he uses. God is looking for men and women in whose hands his glory is safe. P. 
People who won't try to rob God of his shine. Folk who won't try to take credit for what God has done. I told God, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. I'll stand up and tell the world it was you and you alone. That's the context within which we find this morning, Psalm 115, this praise song. It's an antiphonal song. It's kind of like a call and response song. This is how they sang it back and forth to one another. Scholars disagree over the exact context and time of this text. I think it's post-exilic, when Israel has been in trouble, but God has delivered them. Now, when I use the word Israel in preaching to you all, particularly in the Old Testament, I'm not talking about that nation state that's bombing the crap out of Gaza right now. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Old Testament prototype of the people of God, the people that God selected for himself raised up, adorned, gave them the prophets and the law and the temple service and raised them up as it were as a people to make the rest of the world jealous so that they would want the rest of the world. We who were not born of that seed would want what Israel had. But now that we're our New Testament believers, that idea of the people of God has expanded beyond an ethnicity and geography. It encapsulates everyone who claims the name of Jesus the Christ whether you're male or female, whether you are old or young, whether you live on this side of the hemisphere or on the other, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of the people of God now. When I use this language, I don't want you to attach it to a political statement, but I want you to think of it theologically, that you too now fit in the lineage and the heritage of the people of God. So in this moment now, Israel has been under trouble, and their enemies, realizing that they have a kind of faith that everybody else does not have, is taunting them. And they are saying, because your God is invisible, he is not physical, he cannot be real and powerful. That's their line of reasoning. But Israel turns around and says, just because we don't see our God with our eyes, doesn't mean we don't see him working on our behalf. We got a track record with God, and our history is based upon the fact that God has been so strong and at work in defeating our enemies, in giving us land, in protecting us from pestilences, in rescuing us from despair, in bringing us this far, that we ain't going to let you godless, polytheistic, idol-making human beings talk us out of what we cannot see. In other words, you can't let people who don't know what you know talk you out of what you do know. Because the folk at your job ain't got a relationship with God. Where were they when you were crying yourself to sleep? Where, where were they when you got into the car accident and, and the hand of the Lord snatched you out? Where were they when the doctor's report came and threatened to take your joy? Where were they when your sins were weighing you down? Where were they when you were broke and couldn't put food on the table? Where were they when you did not deserve the help and the hope you have? Don't you let people who just got a degree in the last 20 years, come tell you about the God who has kept your great-grandmama and your great-granddaddy. Just because you don't see him and you don't know my story doesn't mean he's not real. Can I tell y'all something? 
I ain't never seen Antarctica, but I know it's real. I ain't never been in the outer space, but I know it's real. I've never seen God with my eyes, but ask me how I know he's real. Because I talked to him this morning. And he told me that everything is going to be all right. Faith, friends, faith, listen to me. Faith has eyes not in the head, but in the heart. Are y'all listening to me in here today? I said, faith has eyes not in the head, but in the heart. You, you've got to be the kind of person who believes the word of God in your heart when you cannot make sense of it in your head. Because if you could figure God out by now, You wouldn't be in bad of a shape as you're in right now. But the fact of the matter is that it has pleased God to withhold from us the depths of the complexity of his personality so that we do not know everything we want to know because it keeps us trusting in the God we cannot see. He's too good to let you know everything about him. And he beckons you by faith to come follow him. So why, why, why should we trust him? This text says he deserves to be trusted. And because he deserves to be trusted, he also deserves to be praised. Why should we trust him? Why should we praise him? I thought I'd pause. I'm getting all my guns out today. I thought I'd pause at this particular chocolate church on this Sunday to say that we should praise God for what he has done but we should shout like we black too. I'm afraid of you new Negroes, I really am. Can I just be honest with you? I mean, those of you who are so sedity and refined and educated, you come with diamonds in your ears and around your neck. You got degrees, more degrees in this room than it is the thermometer on the wall. It's so hot in here. Y'all brought a lot of degrees with you. I, I, I'm afraid of you chocolate people who ain't never had to go through struggle. And I don't mean the kind of mental struggle that all of us have been through in the pandemic. I, I mean water hoses and dogs and being called names and trouble and not being able to go to school where you want to go and not being able to live where you want to live. And you come to church and you hear all of this music and you clap your hands real sedity like you at the orchestra. You ain't at the orchestra when you come to this church. You are not at Carnegie Hall when you come here. When you come here, you come into a place where folk will buck until the hat comes off of their head. That's how black people get down. Enthusiastic, emotive, and cognitive in the way we honor God. And if you want to sit there and hold your peace like I'm not talking and telling the truth, then sit there like God ain't never done nothing for you. But when you do, the rocks outside will start to clap their hands. The sun church. I want y'all to know I'm coming for you this year. I mean, all of you young people who ain't never cut a dance in church, you ain't never raised your voice in church as good as God has been to y'all, has delivered us from chattel slavery, got us through re 
reconstruction gave us the civil rights movement lifted us above jim crow now some of y'all got offices downtown you got a retirement what your folks would have never understood and you sitting there like this oh, i just ain't come by all of that what you mean you didn't come for all of that do you know how much he's done for you This psalmist says, we ought to praise God. And how should we praise him, Pastor Charlie? I, I want y'all to listen to me now. We ought to praise God in protest to the arrogance of the world. Not unto us. Not unto us. But to your name, we give glory. Too many churches and even some of y'all and I'm tempted to call you by name because I know your name you still sitting there real pretty and dignified are guilty of praise embezzlement you know what embezzlement is right it's, it's when somebody misappropriates assets for their personal gain it's when somebody's been entrusted with something but then they take what they've been entrusted with and they use it to pay themselves I wonder how many times the doors of this church open. And some of y'all who've been entrusted with breath in your body. I do remember the psalmist says, let everything that have breath. Praise the Lord. But, but some of us have been entrusted with that breath that is to give God praise. And instead, we heap it on ourselves. And we would never say it out loud, but we think it, I'm so smart. I'm so dignified. I got myself through. You never say that out loud, but when you don't open your mouth, when you do not clap your hands, you are non-verbally saying that he doesn't get the glory, you do. We praise God in protest. In this call and response liturgical rhythm, the children of Israel said very simply that our praise is a protest against the arrogance of the world and an acknowledgement of our unworthiness. Verses 1 and 2 in this psalm. Not to us, but to your name, give the glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, Where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. There is in this text, thank you, Jesus, a picture of lingering difficulty in the psalmist's life. Why should the nations say, Where is their God now? That's an implication that there is trouble that the nations are saying, look at them, now where's their God? For those of us waiting on the world to get right before we trust and praise God, for, for, for those of us who are waiting for all our bills to be paid, for all the trouble to be passed away, for, for our mamas and daddies to be happy with our decisions, for those of us who are waiting for those moments, you're going to forever be waiting. You got to learn how to praise God in the middle of your tension. I, can I tell y'all the truth? Praise ain't really good until all hell is broke loose and you decided I'm going to praise God in the middle of my frustration. I wish I had somebody here that's ever been through something. I mean, a dark night of the soul. You don't just praise God when things are good. You praise God when the bottom is falling out. That's how you change the temperature in your life. 
Let me keep on going now. We do it also as an acknowledgement of our unworthiness. See, anybody who would take God's credit is crazy. But anybody who gives God the credit acknowledges that they're not worthy of what God has done. This is amazing. It's, it's God's goodness seen even in the tragedy of life where we are not worthy. Let me, let me argue my case. I'm in my seat. Matthew Henry. Y'all know Matthew Henry. He wrote that old one-volume wordy commentary. I mean, just all of the Bible commentary in, in one book. And, and Matthew Henry uh, is a Bible, was a Bible scholar. He got robbed one night because unfortunately that happens to Bible scholars too. And, and he got held up and something was taken from him. And later that night in his sadness, he decided that he would put an entry in his journal to find something to thank God for in the middle of his tension and his difficulty. Y'all ain't listening to me here today. I said, my man had just been robbed and he's looking for something to thank God for. So Sanford, he starts to write down, I thank you, first of all, that I've never been robbed before. He said, I got to bless you that this is the first time that this has ever happened to me. He said, secondly, I want to thank you that although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. I, I, I got to tell you, thank you. I don't like the way it went down, but, but I got to tell you, th thank you for that one. He, he said, tell you thank you that although they got my wallet it wasn't much in it and and so they didn't get away with a whole lot he said but as he sat there Sam pondering what had happened he, he said God now I gotta thank you that it was them robbing me and not me robbing them I wish God help me in this church today you can find a reason even in the difficulty and the dark to thank is get the address right on your praise. Stop giving everybody else credit for what has happened. But even in the difficulty, get it right. It goes to God because had it been left up to you, it would have fallen apart. I want you to praise God today, church, in protest. When we come in this church and we lift up our voices on Sunday morning and the rest of the world and our city is at home, sleep, or about to do brunch with their besties, we are, in essence, saying to the rest of them, we not with y'all. We love y'all. We understand y'all. But that ain't where we are. We are saying we recognize where the bacon and eggs came from. We, we recognize where the French toast came from. And church going to be over in just a little bit. We'll be right there with you. But before we go in, we got to go up. We got to go and tell the Lord, thank you. Listen to me now. You got to praise God in the amazement of his splendor. I want you to see now how the psalmist says is that God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's called the sovereignty of God. That's the best, uh, simplest uh, definition that I could give you. God does whatever God wants to do. <laughs> Where is God? He in heaven. What is God doing? Whatever he want to do. I'm having fun. I, I, need to, I need to keep on going. But, but I'm trying to help y'all. I just gave you two answers. 
for somebody who asks you, where is God? Uh, he, he in heaven. And what God up to? Whatever he want to do. Whatever pleases him. And that stands now in juxtaposition. Because verse 4 says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths. Whew. But they cannot speak. They have eyes. <coughs> but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, help me God, but they cannot smell. This is getting good. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. And everyone who trusts in them. And the contrast in verse 9 is, oh Israel, y'all keep on trusting in the Lord. I, I, I want to walk if I can. Since the Hebrew Masoretes took their time to delineate this, who has a mouth but cannot speak? How did they get eyes but they cannot hear? How do they have eyes cannot see? How do they have ears but they cannot hear? How do they have noses but they cannot smell? Because the people who made them ain't got no power to animate them. Humanity will always reverse creation. The Bible says that God made us in his image and in his likeness. That's why we have life. But whenever we make idols, we make them to look like us. And when we make our idols, to look like us, they will never perform what we desperately want from them. An idol is simply a good thing that has become a God thing. And everybody in this church got one. You may not have made it with your own hands, but you got something that every now and then you put in front of God. Come on, don't y'all let me stand up here and preach by myself. You ever, you ever wanted something you knew you weren't supposed to want? And that thing was just so important to you? You were like, God, it's not that I want to lose you. <laughs> but I don't want to lose this. And, and, and you are in competition with it. The, the problem with making idols is that idols cannot do for you what you need from them. Story is told of a man, it's a true story, a few years ago, a wildfire in California, they were given five minutes to go into the house to grab whatever they could grab. People went to grab pictures, they went to grab books, clothes, artifacts. One man came out running and he had something and they said, what is that? He said, it's our family God. And I, that thing struck me, I felt for the man. He, he had an idol, an actual idol, family God. But then that news story started to speak to me. I don't want a God that I got to deliver from a fire. I'm just praying that God will give me a church. Can I tell y'all what I need, what I want? I need a God who can get me out of a while you trying to pick up your God and rescue your God, my God done already picked me up, saved me, and then turned my life 
around. But in essence now, these idols are functionally dead. And those who worship them become like them. Functionally dead. See, whoever you worship or whatever you worship, you're going to end up becoming like them. So when you worship God who is life himself, you become alive, which is why I say we could invert all of this in this text to say that God has a mouth and he can speak. He has eyes and he can see. He has ears and he can hear. A, a few years ago, Kirstie and I were in Rome and we, the hotel was by uh, the Pantheon of Rome. It's a, a portico, round building with Agrippa's name etched in at the top. So I Googled it to find out where it was, and I was shocked to discover we were this close up on the ancient pantheon of Rome. You know what the pantheon is, right? Pan meaning all, the, theos meaning God, all the gods. All the gods of Rome were in that building. God, give me a church. This is funnier than y'all are letting it off to me. All of the gods of Rome were in that building. And what I can tell you is, none of them talk. But you ain't never had a moment in your life where God has opened his mouth and started talking and things did not change in your world. You have never had a moment where God looked down on you and you were lost because God has a mouth that talks and he has eyes that can see and he has hands that hold the world together we praise God because we recognize the splendor of his majesty to be distinct from any and everybody else but lastly friends we praise God in recognition of the privilege that God has given us oh the psalmist ends this song by saying that the heavens are the heavens of the Lord but the earth he is given to the sons of men. The dead, that's the people who are down in the grave, do not praise the Lord. God help me. Nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we're going to bless the Lord. Somebody reading this Bible with me. From this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. Y'all mind if I read that one more time? I just like reading the Bible. I know some of y'all ain't read it all week. Give me just one moment. Real fast. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord. But the earth he has given mm, to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any go down in the silence. But as for us, we're going to bless the Lord. It's so subtle of a contrast that those of you sitting in this room who don't realize I just got through reading about you won't even move on what I just read. You got either two categories this morning. You are the dead. Or alive. And the privilege you got is that dead people can't praise the Lord. When the alarm clock went off at the cemetery this morning, nobody got up and said it's time to go to church. Because dead people don't praise the Lord. But when your clock went off, 
when you felt the sun kiss you on the cheek, you had a bright idea. I ought to get up today and make it to the house of God because I could be dead, sleeping in my grave. But while I got breath in my body, I'm going to praise the Lord. I, I wish I had a church, but I, 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 can't, I can't do it the way I feel it. I feel it in my heart. I promise you. I do. I went to see Deacon Taylor and Sister Georgia Taylor the other Saturday. We praying for Sister Taylor. Y'all can stay on your feet. I'm done. We praying for Sister Taylor. She is what they call low sick. And, and she's sitting in there hurting. And her eyes were heavy and droopy. And, and Denise was sitting in there. And Deacon Collins was sitting in there. Sister Collins said, Pastor Charlie here. And she opened her eyes. <laughs> it's that chocolate preacher swag. I don't know what to call it. And I looked at her and I said, I miss you too, sweetie. I, I miss you too. And Deacon Taylor said, oh, 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 oh. Now, now, now you want to open your eyes. You, 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 you ain't going to be, uh, Pastor, you ain't going to be doing this uh, to, to my wife. Y'all know Deacon Taylor. You know I'm telling the truth. And, and so I said, Deacon Taylor didn't get to visit everybody. I had to come see you. And what I learned from him, we're going to do a song, a scripture, and a prayer. And, and I stood there and just started singing. No piano, no praising, no organ. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Woo. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. She started rocking her head like this and started saying, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Because even though she don't like the condition she's in, she recognizes she's still alive and can open that mouth to praise the Lord. And here it is, I got to beg you who walked in here on your own two feet this morning, whom the Lord has blessed and kept, and you come in here waiting on somebody else. Well, can I get us to pause for station identification real fast? Has God been good from the front to the back? Has God been great from the balcony to the floor? Well, let everything, I said let everything that has breath. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.